sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Bias, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Good morning, good abend, bonjour, bonsoir, que passe, shalom, wassalam alaikum, konnichiwa, all that good stuff, man. Welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I do, as always, anywhere where you're listening to this podcast, iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, do me a favor. If you could download, subscribe, rate, review this podcast, most importantly, enjoy this podcast, which so happens to be the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast. If you could do so, I would uh, very much appreciate it. Thank you so much. Special dedication for those across the globe who are listening to this podcast. All right. Today, I'm going to be getting into some uh, college football. It's going to be college football dominated because I need to ask you a question as we start this program. Are you a believer? When it comes to the Colorado football team, do you believe? Are you a believer? You know, are you ready to give the receipts and all this type of stuff? I'm a, when it comes to Colorado football, I'm a believer without being a believer. I believe that Deion Sanders was going to turn things around. I believe that Deion Sanders was going to be good for Colorado. I believe that bringing in his son and Travis Hunter. I believe that the mass exodus of players from a team that was 1-11 last year and devoid of any type of talent. I believe that that needed to be done for uh, Deion to get the job done. For Deion to start building a pathway to uh, resurrecting a program to bring it to bring it back in prominence for maybe the first time in about 30, 40 years since Bill McCarthy was the uh, um, coach for that team. But um, before we start taking victory laps, before we start doing the I told you so's, before we start high-fiving, before we start doing all this type of stuff in terms of, uh, you know, ha-ha-heeing and I told you so, can we just kind of rem- remember that this is one game? Now, what they did on Saturday against TCU, 45-42, on the road, remarkable, unbelievable. When you speak about the turnaround, when you speak about Dion bringing in 89 new players, 87 new players, something like that, the fact that they showed so much discipline, the fact that they were in such cohesion, especially on the offensive side of the football, it was remarkable. It was unbelievable. It was a tip and it kept Dion and the coaches that he brought in to resurrect and build that program. It was very, very impressive. But it seemed like after the game, man, these guys were acting like they just won a a college football playoff game or something like that. This is one game on the road in TCU ranked number 17. I'm kind of interested to see how much of this victory was a reflection on how well 
Dion has been building this program so far at Colorado and how disappointing it was for TCU, a team that went to the national championship game last year and showed that it didn't belong being overwhelmed and being pummeled by Georgia, losing Max Dugan and some other guys to come back, still ranked in the top 20. Uh, when the season started. Now, now, with that performance that they gave against Colorado, especially on the defensive end, you definitely have to question how overrated uh, TCU was compared to their uh, preseason ranking. So all of these things have to be baked into the cake when we start talking about are you a believer and all this stuff. Here, here's the thing. When you're speaking about believing, when it comes to the Colorado football program, when it comes to the Colorado Buffaloes, What's your definition of believing? Are you a believer now? What, what does that mean? Because, look, man, I, 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 like I mentioned before, I said this. I'm a believer still without believing just yet. I'm not a conduit. In term, I'm, I'm not going to say that, oh, my goodness gracious, you've already turned it around based on one game. Again, I'm a believer in, in saying that Colorado made the right move in hiring Deion Sanders. I'm a believer in saying that eventually Deion Sanders will turn this program around. Is he going to raise it to the level of a Georgia or an Alabama or an Ohio State or, or anything like that in the next two or three years? No. But I still think compared to what Colorado has been for the last 10, 15, 20 years, I think it was a good hire for Colorado to think outside the box and go ahead and get themselves and hire Deion Sanders. And Deion Sanders bringing in his own luggage, Louis Vuitton and all that kind of stuff. Well, Louis Vuitton, hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. If you're speaking about bringing in Louis Vuitton, then we're speaking about a, a team that shouldn't be giving up 42 points uh, to, to TCU in the first game. I digress. And running for less than two yards per carry on 34 carries. If you're bringing in luggage, that's Louis Vuitton. Because Nick Saban brings in recruiting classes, brings in luggage that are Louis Vuitton. Uh, Kirby Smart brings in luggage every year that's Louis Vuitton. Ryan Day brings in luggage every year that's Louis Vuitton. Um, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame now is bringing in luggage that is uh, reminiscent of Louis Vuitton. And these are teams that are competing for championships. Are you talking about Colorado this year being a contender for a championship? If you're speaking about that, if Dion wants to uh, make me believe in that, that's some foolishness that I'm not going to be believing in. Because I don't think that Colorado is yet ready to uh, be on that type of mountain. Now, as I'm recording this on a Tuesday, it seems that Colorado is ranked number 22 in the, in the country by the AP poll. That is a complete overreaction. That is based on, whoops, you know what? I thought Colorado was going to be really bad. I thought Colorado was only going to be slightly better than the team that went 1-11 last year. was one of the worst teams in college football and had one of the least talented squads in Power 5 football and in the Power 5 conferences. So I think the fact that Sanders was able to come in and have his quarterback, have his son and Travis Hunter and those guys do the things that they did on offense. I think that's almost a overreaction to say, wow, not only was I wrong, I was dead wrong in terms of the impact that uh, Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter can have on this um, on this team, on this program, and on the national scene. So because of that, I'm going to go way overboard on the other end. So it's almost like we're speaking about two extremes. When people were getting upset with Dion, and I can't believe this is not how you run a program, and when I came into a program 
when I was a head coach, I would never go ahead and get rid of all those guys because, my goodness, you're breaking these guys' hearts. And they came to Colorado when they pledged their allegiance to the program. And this is dirty pool. And this is horrible. And how can coaches do this to these players and these poor guys? And they'll never be able to play football again. Or their dreams of playing Power 5 football are over. And this is terrible. And I can't believe Dion is doing this. And he's bringing... Uh, the NFL mentality to college football with these student athletes and all this type of nonsense, all this type of negativity, all this type of uh, uh, palaver that we heard some of these coaches speak about when they were trying to uh, uh, be negative with Deion Sanders in the way that he was rebuilding his program. So this was a situation where it's almost like, okay, you can eat some crow in terms of if you believe that Colorado wasn't going to be significantly better. But if you think that they're the 22nd best team in the country, you are out of your mind. And I know it's one game, but still, you are out of your mind. Any team that have a defense like Colorado showed in game one against TCU to be one of the top 22 teams in the country, man, you are out of your mind. We need to slow down a little bit. Because when we're, again, speaking about believing, I believe that Deion Sanders is the right guy. But if you think, if you really believe that Deion Sanders coaching Buff, coaching Colorado this season is going to be able to really, really turn the program around to where they're going to be going bowling or where they're going to be winning seven or eight games. You're crazy. You're nuts. There ain't no way that's going to happen. If Deion Sanders can get five wins out of this team still, despite the offensive display that they showed on Saturday against TCU, if Deion Sanders can squeeze, and those coaches can squeeze five victories this season, that's going to be damn near miraculous for a team that was really projected to win anywhere between three games. I think they're two games better than, you know, the glass half full type of prognostications that a lot of these people uh, that a lot of these people were speaking about. So that's kind of like we, we have to start thinking, we have to kind of start asking ourselves, what is your definition of believing? Because I still don't think they're gonna be competitive against Utah, USC, Oregon, maybe even Oregon State. Still don't think so. So it's like, look, man, do I believe that Deion Sanders was the right guy to uh, hire for the Colorado football team? Do I think that in maybe three or four years that um, they're going to be competing for um, Big 12 championships? Uh, sure. I, I believe that has the potential. I believe that should be the expectations. And this was a first step on that long journey to get there. But, man, the place, Cal the place of Colorado at number 22, aren't we missing some steps? Aren't we skipping some steps? Aren't we jumping to presumptions that we shouldn't be uh, jumping to already? Now, look, you know, we're speaking about week going into week two with the polls and, you know, everything changes. I remember four weeks into the season last year, Kansas was ranked in the top 15 and being undefeated. And everybody was talking about the great turnaround at Kansas. And we saw where they ended up think Colorado when everything is all said and done when the dust is clear when year one of Deion Sanders coaching the Colorado Buffaloes when that book is going to be written for that first year's first year I think that this game against TCU is going to be a nice beginning but I think when we start taking a look at the totality of what this season is going to unveil for Colorado again if they win five games then um, I think it's going to be a quite miraculous feat for Deion Sanders and that coaching staff. So they beat 
TCU 45-42 on the road this past weekend. Colorado hadn't beaten a top 20 opponent on the road since 2002. Uh, Shador Sanders, remember when I was speaking about some of the things when I was going to be watching college football this past weekend on my last podcast, and one of the things that I wanted to see when watching that game between the Buffaloes and the Horned Frogs of TCU, I was interested in seeing how well Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter could bring their game from the HBCU level to uh, big-time college football. Well, for the first game, Sidor Sanders, uh, <laughs> it was it was Heisman Trophy-worthy uh, unbelievable what he did. 38-47, 510 yards, four touchdowns, all on a makeshift offensive line or a remake of an offensive line and no running game. Wide receivers Jimmy Horn and Xavier Weaver, both South Florida transfers combined to catch 17 passes for 235 yards. Dylan Edwards, a top 50 freshman who flipped his commitment from Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame, scored on passes of 4 yards, 75 yards, and 46 yards, and finished with 11 rushes combined and receptions for 159 yards. Colorado scored 28 points in the second half in the win over TCU. Um, that's the first time that program has scored more than 21 points in this previous 15 games for the entire game. So Colorado scoring 28 points in the second half alone was more than what they uh, scored the previous 15 games combined for the entire game. So yes, do I believe? Yes. Now, do I think that? Did I think that Colorado was going to be that explosive? For the first game against TCU, no, but geez, man, I was a believer where I thought bringing in an upgrade at quarterback and wide receiver, some of the talent that Dion was bringing in, I, I thought was definitely going to be a sign in the in the right direction. But man, I, Shador Sanders, I mean, that man was making touch passes, that man was throwing under duress, that man was staying in the pocket, that man was making plays outside. But he was in, he was unbelievable. He was incredible. Best performance of the um, best performance of the weekend. Him and Travis Hunter. I don't even know which one was even more impressive because you're speaking about um, uh, Sanders uh, doing what he did, but then you take a look at Travis Hunter, who again we're speaking about Heisman Trophy uh, candidate worthiness after what he did on Saturday, playing what 120 snaps. Playing 120 snaps and catching 11 passes on 16 targets and intercepting a pass near the goal line when TCU was uh, going in for a touchdown or going in for a score. Unreal. Unbelievable. And again, when you're speaking about do I believe, do I believe, it's a situation where, look, they had to have an otherworldly game from Sanders and Hunter to beat TCU. And I don't think as this season goes along that you can play Travis Hunter 120 uh, plays per game. I don't think that's going to happen. Unless you're just looking for him to have a very short NFL career because of all the wear and tear you're going to put on this man in his one or two years of playing college football at Colorado. But, um, yeah, you can't ask Shador Sanders to throw for 510 yards, despite the fact of how weak the USC defense might be, even though they played a lot better on defense against Reno. And when you're speaking about the physicality of Utah, and you're speaking about uh, some of the teams that they're going to be playing, for a team that's right number 22 in the country, man, you can't ask Shador Sanders to do that type, to have that type of performance again. You can't ask Travis Hunter to have that type of impact and play that many uh, snaps again and be that 
much of a focal point on offense, even though, again, we spoke about the other receivers for um, Colorado being dynamic and impactful in that game against um, TCU. So, yeah, it, it all goes back to do you, do, do you believe? Do you believe? Are you a believer? Again, what's your definition of I'm a believer? Travis Hunter might be the most talented player in college football. Yeah, you got Caleb Williams, and yeah, you got some others. But just in terms of talent alone, against TCU, again, he played over 120 snaps. In fact, he played 129 snaps, 11 passes, 119 yards on offense, interception, and three tackles on defense. You can't, you can't do that. You can't have that poor young man go out there and do that every single game, Dion. You're going to wear that guy out for the time he gets to the pros, man. And I know in, in the NFL, you played 120 snaps in a game and all that kind of stuff when you were with the Cowboys. You can't do that. You can't do that again to, with, with, with this young man. you got to think about the future. You can't wear this kid out. So, again, it will be interested moving forward to see how Colorado is going to handle the success because I saw a whole lot of guys out there. And, look, you know, these, these are young men and or young kids or whatever and you know you, they have a right to be excited they have a right to be joyous it was a great game it was an unbelievable performance but you know s- s- these guys were acting like they won the national championship Dion's up there acting like you know he won a, a game of huge importance the first game is always an important game especially again when you're taking over a program that has been so down in the dumps, yes, a victory like that is going to be awesome. Yes, a victory like that should cause you to uh, celebrate. Yes, a victory like that should, um, you know, have your chest have your chest puffed up and your head held high. Yes, all of those things. But, man, this journey, this road of college football, Dion, man, it's just starting, coach. And you know how much tougher it's going to be. Now we're speaking about some expectations. Now, one thing about people not believing is that they don't expect anything out of you. So if you would have gone out and gotten bombed by TCU, there would have been a lot of people who would have been cackling. There would have been a lot of people who sitting there saying, saying, I told you so, even after one week, right? We go from one ex- one end of the spectrum to the other, right? So we go from winning against TCU 45 to 42. Some folks are up there claiming, see, everything that Dion did work. See, bringing in 87 new players, it worked. How we rebuilt the program, see, it worked. Everything that he's doing, his attention and all this type of stuff, put the spotlight on me, see, it all worked. How do you know if it worked? We've only played one game. How do you know if the way Dion rebuilt the Colorado football program worked only after one game? What's happened if they finished 2-9? and nine? Or What's happened if they finished 2-1-whatever? and whatever? Are you going to go from week one saying, seeing, saying, see, I told you it worked, to all of a sudden going to the other end of the spectrum saying it was a complete and utter disaster? After one year, after one game, you're actually going to be making these type of uh, uh, proclamations. Get the man some time. Give the program some time. Have him go through a few recruiting cycles, all of these type of things, before we start talking about it worked, it didn't work. Again, believe, non-believers, I believe that Dion was the right person for the program. I'm not believing that after one game, he's turned this program completely around. I know we had to turn the program up completely around because it's only been one game. I don't care if he wins five games, seven games, nine games this season. You need more than one season, good or bad, to determine if Dion is doing things the right way. Bringing in 87 new recruits or bringing in 87 new players, he had to. He had to do that. Because guess what? 
He needs to win football games. For those who are up there lamenting and moaning and groaning and speaking about how horrible it is for him to be building a program this way, yeah, he could have been loyal. Yeah, he could have been thinking about the student-athletes at the uh, for the football program, for Colorado football program from the year before. But guess what? His reputation was on the line, man. Dion with his swag, Dion with his braggadocio, Dion with his personality, Dion with his charisma. You know, there's a lot of folks out there who don't like Prime. They don't like the Coach Prime. They don't like that charisma. They don't like the aura that he brings. And those people are just waiting with bated breath, licking at the chops for him to fail. So they can say, yeah, Coach Prime, my ass. Yeah, Big Mouth, my ass. Yeah, Mr. Big Shot, my ass. Yeah, Mr. Aflac, my ass. Man can't coach this, that, and the other. A racial tinge in there with some of that stuff. Jealousy, a lot of that stuff. But whatever, man. Dion came in because of his persona, because of his personality, because of the way he is. Man, the man had to come in and make a splash. The man had to come in and do something to change the program around. So you think that he really would be getting some kudos if he kept those same players that were 1-11 from the year before? They go out and maybe win two or three games and they're still just as bad? It's not going to look good on him. It's not going to look good on the university. It's not going to be looking good for the financial sheets when they talk about how many people are coming to the games. And ultimately, it's going to cost Dion his job. So being loyal to players, we have seen this in college football. And we've seen this in college football way before NIL, way before the transfer portal, way before even I was born. And that was a long time ago. We saw this in the 30s. We saw this in the 40s. Speaking about 19, speaking about the 20th centuries. We saw this in the 1940s. We saw this in the 1950s. We saw this in the 1960s. When we're speaking about college athletics in Pacifics, speaking about college football. If you do not win... If you don't meet the expectations of winning, you will not be the coach of the football team, especially if you're speaking about one of the more prestigious uh, football programs in the country or a football program that's in one of the more prestigious conferences in college football. If you do not win, you will not be the coach. It doesn't matter how loyal you are to your players. It doesn't matter how great of human beings that your players are. It doesn't matter what the team's GPA is. It doesn't matter how many Rose Scholars you produce. It doesn't matter how many doctors and lawyers and congressmen and all these other uh, high accolades that you produce as a football coach for these men who are graduating. It doesn't matter what your graduation rate is if you're a football coach for a university that plays in a Power 5 conference. If you're a football coach for a university that plays in a Power 5 football coach. The team's overall GPA does not matter. The graduation rate does not matter more than how many football games that you win. So Dion could be loyal to a bunch of guys who went 1-11 last year. But guess what? Sooner or later, sooner he was going to be out of a job. So he had to do what he had to do. Now, if this is going to be a situation where every year Dion is bringing in 50, 60, 70 new players, then yeah, we've got some problems. Let's, let's see as he matriculates on down with his coaching career as coach for the University of Colorado. Let's see how he does in terms of the uh, recruiting. Let's, turn, let's see how he does in terms of transfers compared to uh, the ratio of transfers that come in compared to uh, the high school recruits that he gets. 
And it's interesting, one of the things watching college football this past uh, weekend, more than anything else, and I want to ask you, I want to see if you even noticed this, is that when you were watching these games, whether it was Rice versus Texas, whether it was Middle Tennessee State versus Alabama, was whether it was um, West Virginia versus Penn State, whatever game that you were watching or whatever multitude of games that you were watching, wasn't it something to have these commentators talking about this catch was made by this guy who's a transfer from here or this tackle was made by this guy who was a transfer from there or what an excellent block to open up this hole for a running back from this left tackle or right guard that was a transfer from here. It was so interesting that how, how that was attached to the um, player every time he made a play. And it just goes to show you how prevalent now the transfer portal is in college football. And you see these guys who were starters. You see these guys having impacts. Or you see these guys having um, uh, huge responsibilities for the effectiveness of their teams, both on the offense, defense, special teams. A lot of them are transfers. So it's going to be interesting moving forward when we speak about high school uh, recruiting how big of a deal is the high school recruiting classes are going to be compared to the transfer portal rankings? Because you know that's going to be coming out if it hasn't come out already. I know it's come out in basketball in terms of ranking the uh, teams with the bit with the who had the best uh, transfer, who brought in the best transfers, and now they have rankings for that. So what's going to weigh more heavily when you're speaking about teams that are going to be? Um, Championship material is it going to be based on their recruiting, uh, their recruiting rankings or their transfer portal rankings, especially when it comes to the elite teams in college football. So yeah, before we start passing out receipts, before we start doing the I told you so's, before we start doing all of this stuff, before we start asking ourselves or debating whether. Uh, you know, with the, are you a believer now on all this kind of stuff when it comes to um the Colorado football program. Hey, man, let's kind of pump the brakes. And I know we don't want to do that. I know that we want to have answers, you know, questions answered very quickly. But, you know, man, we, we have to we have to slow down on, on some of this stuff. So, yeah, rank 22 in the country. And you're speaking about a Colorado schedule that's going to have... If they're ranked number 22 in the country, they should beat Nebraska pretty handily. But I don't know. I know Nebraska gave that game away against Minnesota... Uh, last week, but um, you know, would it surprise me if on the home opener that Nebraska comes in and beats uh, Colorado? No, and if they do beat Colorado, and that 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 air and that balloon goes out rather quickly, what is it going to mean for them moving on with this season? If they beat Nebraska and then they beat Colorado State, man, Colorado Colorado is going to be the uh, most talked about thing in college football, just like Kansas was last year when. A school that never had any success since Mark Mangione was the coach way back in the day um, when when um, they, they haven't had any success, but they started off quickly uh, last season. They were undefeated, and everybody was talking about, ooh, we, ah, ooh, ooh, and we found out where they ended up at the end of the year in terms of relevance in college football. So if Colorado goes into that game at Oregon 3-0, and a team that beat Portland State, what, 206 to 4, then it's going to be really interesting. And there's just there's just so many 
potholes. There's just so many possible obstacles to where I, I don't know still what to make of this program. They come in 3-0. and They beat Nebraska. They beat Colorado State. Oh, my goodness. This is a game against Oregon that's just going to, again, this is going to be the believe it game, right? The first believe it game, do you believe, was against TCU. The second believe it game is going to be against Oregon if they come in 3-0. and so if they beat Oregon, everybody's going to be talking about, woo-wee, I believe, I believe, I believe. What happens if they play a competitive game and they lose at Oregon? How much of the I believe, I believe, I believe is going to, uh, is going to dissipate? And if they get blown out by Oregon... How much of it is going to be the other way? Yeah, I believe that he wouldn't do anything. Yeah, you beat TCU. We found out now they must be overrated. Yeah, they beat Nebraska, who's no good, and Colorado State was a gimme. Yeah, the first real game that you played, Coach Prime, on the road against against a real top 20 team in Oregon, you get your doors blown open. Yeah, I told you. Then it's going to be back to... He wasn't, you know, now he's going to be back to, you know, the negative and all that type of stuff. And how much could that snowball? You go in 3-0, you lose to uh, Oregon, then you got to play USC. How, how, how much of a damper, how much, how much of that loss to Oregon if they do get blown out? And I think that uh, Colorado will lose to Oregon decisively, whether they go into that game 3-0, 2-1, or 1-2. How much of an anchor is that going to be weighted on them as they then go play USC, then go back on the road to play ASU before you get to Stanford, then back on the road to UCLA, then Oregon State, then Arizona, then at Washington State and at Utah. How much wins or losses are going to be playing into this season? Because look, again, Colorado's ranked 22 in the country. Really? You better do something about a defense that gave up 27 first downs, 541 total yards, having TCU go 11 of 19 on third and fourth down conversion, and they only and they allowed seven yards per rush on 37 carries. Colorado better do something about trying to run the football because again, running for 55 total yards on 34 attempts—that's less than two yards per carry. If you're a top 25 team, you got to do better than that. You can't expect Shador Sanders to go out and have the type of game that he had every time, game against TCU. You don't expect him to do that every game, especially if you're going to be playing Oregon, Utah, uh, uh, Oregon State, Washington State. No, 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 no. You You can't expect Shador Sanders to come anywhere close to that on a consistent basis. If he, if he does... If Shakur Stevenson, excuse me, if Shakur Stevenson, wow, wrong, wrong sport. If Shakur Sanders, Shador Sanders, excuse me, can play 75% to 80% of what he played against TCU, or near that, if he played up to 75% of the level that he played against TCU on Saturday, this is going to be the last year for Shador Sanders to be playing in college football because in all actuality, he'll be the number one pick in the NFL draft. If that's the type of performance, if he can give 80% on a consistent basis playing the schedule that Colorado has with the offensive line that Colorado has with the lack of running game that Colorado showed in the first game of the season, if those things are going to be consistent and Sanders is going to play at 80% of what he played, 75%, 70% of what he played against, uh, against TCU, yeah, this is going to be the only season that he's going to be at um, Colorado because he'll be the number one quarterback drafted in this upcoming NFL draft.
So, so all of those things. And if I'm Travis Hunter, I'm like, hey, man, I got one more year, then I'm out of here before this man kills me before I get to the pros playing 129 snaps. If, if, if that's going to be what Colorado is going to need to win football games, uh, they're in a lot of trouble. They're in a whole lot of trouble. I want to talk about this before we uh, get to a break because I was thinking about this. Shador Sanders, Travis Hunter, the performance that they put up against TCU on Saturday. And I thought about this. Let's just say that Sanders and Hunter can be at 60-65% in terms of efficiency or the level of play compared to how they performed on Saturday against TCU. Let's just say they stay at that level, right? If they do, and Colorado supersedes all the expectations, right? Is Travis Hunter and Shador Sanders, are they going to have the same effect that Jackie Robinson had on Negro League Baseball or what Sam Cunningham had on football in the SEC Conference back in 1970? Now, before y'all start calling me names, before y'all start eye-rolling, before y'all start, uh, you know, cursing me out, let me explain, especially when I'm speaking about Jackie Robinson. When I said that Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter is having the same effect uh, that uh, Jackie Robinson had on Negro League Baseball, this, this is what I meant. When you, when you take a look at the transfer portal, when you take a look at the way college football is right now, when you take a look at how prevalent the transfer portal is, and these teams looking for talent from anywhere, right? When you're speaking about the Alabamas and you're speaking about the elite teams of college football, and they're actively in the transfer portal. They're actively looking for other players. If Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter can show these coaches, can show these elite coaches that, hey, you know what? Um, there is some gold. There are some gems. There's some jewels at the HBCU schools. So if you see some of the top tier players performing at the HBCU schools, if you're LSU, why wouldn't you try to get some of the fruit, get some of the gems, get some of those diamonds that are playing football for Grambling? If you're Florida State, or if you're Miami, or if you're in Florida, and you see a player at FAMU doing some things at the HBCU school against HBCU competition, why would you not say, hey, fellas, hey, man, you want to go ahead and play big time? You want to go ahead and play some big time college football? Why would you not do that? It was the same thing with Jackie Robinson playing in the Negro Leagues and then going to Major League Baseball. The Negro Leagues suffered greatly. Yes, everybody was speaking about 1942, Jackie Robinson, or uh, Jackie Robinson, 1947, integrating baseball, this, that, and the other. It's wonderful, it's fantastic, great uh, historical um, importance to our country and moving this country along in terms of societal issues and everything. That was great, that was wonderful, that was awesome. Yeah, it was, but guess what? The negative effect of Jackie Robinson playing Major League Baseball was that it killed the Negro Leagues. Because all of a sudden, these Major League Baseball teams saw how great Jackie Robinson was, and they're speaking about, well, hell, Jackie Robinson wasn't even one of the greatest baseball players in the Negro Leagues at this time. So what happened if we get the top-tier Negro League baseball players to play for our teams in the Major Leagues? 
it'll put us in an even better position to win uh, World Series and championships and such. And so because of that, the Larry Doby, the Hank Aarons, the um, Willie Mays of the world who would be playing in the Negro Leagues because up until 1947, Major League Baseball was not an integrated sport. So you had to have the Negro Leagues. And at one time, during its heyday, the Negro Leagues in the black community was one of the most um, was one of the most effective and one of the most proper businesses in that community suffered greatly because all of a sudden these Major League Baseball teams started plucking and taking away all of the talent from the Negro League. So what I'm saying is, is that Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter, if they can have the type of performance or come near the type of performance that he had, that they had against TCU and have the impact that they had against TCU, you don't think some of these other colleges, you don't think some of these other top tier uh, programs, you don't think that some of these elite college football programs aren't going to take notice and say, hey, let's go ahead and start taking some fruit away from Howard and Southern and Morgan State and North Carolina A&T and Jackson State and Florida A&M and Alcorn State and Prairie View A&M. You don't think that's going to be happening? You don't think there's going to be a new stream of talent that can be taken away? Of course. So I'm interested in that, and if that does happen, what does that mean for the HBCU football programs and schools moving forward? And also, when I spoke about the impact that Sanders and Travis Hunter could have um, in terms of uh, common to what Sam Cunningham had on SEC football in um, 1970 was the fact that, hey, man, when Sam Cunningham... Um, he was a very big part of the integration of college football, especially when you're speaking about the uh, SEC. He was part of USC's all-black backfield, one of the first of its kind in NCAA history. And his performance in a game against Alabama in Birmingham was reportedly a factor in convincing the University of Alabama and its fans to let Coach Bear Bryant integrate fo- uh, Southern football. And, um, you know, Cunningham went down there, had 135 yards, two touchdowns against the all-white University of Alabama football team. USC beat Alabama 42-21. In fact, what Jerry Claiborne said, who was a Bryant assistant, what he said was Sam Cunningham did more to integrate Alabama in 60 minutes than Martin Luther King did in 20 years, which is, you know, kind of of hyperbole and all that kind of stuff. But but still, so we're, we're speaking about having that type of effect. We're talking about having that type of impact. Now, I'm just speaking about in that small sliver of things. So I'm not trying to compare the totality of who, of who Jackie Robinson was as a man to uh, Sador Sanders and Travis Hunter. But I'm just saying the impact that he could have, that those two could have, and what Dion could have. It was a great day for the HBCUs in terms of what Sanders and Hunter did on national television against TCU. And um, Dion, Coach Prime, made it quite clear with that also. So those are just some of the things that I was thinking about while watching those games and what effect they could have both short and long term. But first, uh, before we start speaking about is Colorado real or not real or a believer and all this kind of stuff, rank 22, which I believe was way too high. Let's see what they do against Nebraska. I'm going to I'm going to predict one thing, that Shador Sanders will not be throwing for 510 yards 
And I don't think that Travis Hunter will have the type of impact that he had in terms of both um, offensively and defensively. Not saying that they're going to go in the tank. Not saying that they're going to have bad games. Not even saying that Nebraska's going to win. I'm just saying, if you expect that type of performance from Sanders and Hunter on a regular basis, man, that's way, way, way too much. But um, we will see. All right. You know, so the talked about um, Colorado after I get down and boogie. Um, week one in college football, I'm going to go ahead after the break and discuss which teams were the most impressive and which teams were the most disappointing. So I'll be discussing all of those things. My name is Wendell Wallace, right here on Wendell's World of Sports. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad you could be with us. College football recap, the best and most impressive performances from the uh, top 10 schools. Look, I don't know what to take from Georgia and Alabama playing two teams that really weren't going to give them any type of competition. They both did what they had to do. Oklahoma beating up on Arkansas State, doing what they had to do. There's really nothing that we can take from when you're speaking about, oh, so what do you think about um, the new quarterback for Alabama? I don't know. He really didn't do anything in terms of giving me a true indication of what he could do when they start playing the more competitive teams. Now, we'll get a better understanding of what Alabama is all about when they play Texas, who for a half kind of slept walk with Rice before Quinn Ewers uh, did some things and got the uh, Texas squad going. Uh, but Again, you know, there was a lot of these teams, especially in the top 10. What am I going to take, or top 15? What am I going to take from Notre Dame beating up on Tennessee State? You know, poor Eddie George. But what what am I going to take from that type of performance? I don't know. They did what they had to do. I mean, there was a lot of performances. Ohio State basically was sleepwalking through their game against Indiana. That game put me to sleep. That game was so boring. It, It looked like... It looked like no, um, excuse me, Ohio State was so bored. It looked like Marvin Harrison had so many other things he wanted to do besides play football on um, Saturday against Indiana. Cal McCord, okay, I mean, you know, whatever. They play Notre Dame in two weeks. So against Youngstown State, they're going to do what they need to do. If they blow them out or whatever, all right. Um, Notre Dame has NC State next week, all right. So we'll be taking a look at those games to kind of see the showdown that's going to be happening on uh, September 23rd, give us a better idea of how good those teams are or to see, you know, what impact those teams are going to have. But, you know, it was week zero. What can we take from Oregon beating Portland State? What can we take from Washington beating Boise State? What can we take from a lot of these teams um, who blew out or did what they had to do? I mean, it was good performance. Nobody got uh, Nobody got hurt. 
And again, for Alabama, Alabama Jalen Milrow, I don't know. He, he looked like the same quarterback, um, more of a runner, more of an athlete than he was a passer. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens against Texas. And we'll see, again, what Texas is all about. We'll see what Quinn Ewers is all about against much greater competition. So um, speaking about the most impressive performance, though, of the uh, weekend, and I believe they moved from number eight to number four, but really you could make a strong argument that they're the best team in the country or based on their performance, based on the uh, team that they played, their competition, that they should be the number one ranked team in the country is Florida State. Florida State, uh, after one game, I'm not going to say that they're back. Again, back to what? Are we speaking about being back to the days of Bobby Bowden back in the 80s and early 90s or mid-90s? No, I'm not going to put that type of impact based on their game against uh, LSU, based on some of the performances or the improvements that they've made since the beginning of last year, since they got, uh, I'm I'm, I'm not going to go that far, but uh, they were the most impressive team of the uh, weekend, beating LSU 45-24, to uh, outscoring LSU 31-7 in the second half. Jordan Travis, uh, 23-31, of 342 yards, four touchdown passes, Ran for 38 yards and uh, one score on the ground. Guided the offense to scores on six consecutive drives. Do you know for the first time since 2018, Florida State had two different receivers with at least 100 yards receiving? Yeah, that's right. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Keon Coleman transferred 122 yards on nine touch on nine catches and Johnny Wilson's 104 yards on seven catches. The defense bending but not breaking. Um, You could say that really the turning point of the game, I know people again want to point to the second half where um, Florida State basically just overwhelmed um, LSU. But I I think the biggest, I think the biggest uh, turning point of the game was early in the game when LSU had a chance uh, to score on what, three or four different occasions or three or four different uh, times and, and didn't get the job done. And after they were turned away, Florida State took the ball down and scored. I think that was one of the uh, turning points of the game. I think that had a huge impact on the game. And for defense for uh, for uh, Florida State, LSU was 3 for 10 on third downs, 0 for 3 on fourth downs, two turnovers on downs in the red zone, and no sustained drives after halftime. So look, if you take a look at the first 23 minutes of the second half, when you take a look at the total yards, Florida State, 246, LSU, 55. Yards per play, Florida State almost had 10 yards per play, LSU almost had 4. Points, Florida State 24, LSU nothing. Jordan Travis, during that first 23 minutes of the second half, 10 for 11, 185 yards, 2 touchdowns. Jaden Daniels, 6 of 9 for 46 yards, 1 interception, and 2 sacks. So... Look, I'm not going to, uh, LSU was so talented, and I don't know if they're going to be playing another team that's going to have the type of receivers that Florida State has. When you're speaking about the top two receivers in the country, or or receivers number one and number two, you have to put Florida State right up there in terms of having one of the best tandems in the country. Their size, their strength, their speed, their physicality, their skill. I mean, that that was was something that was rather impressive. And uh, LSU, as we saw, on that defense, the cornerback position left something to be desired. But then again, when you're going to be remain with the remaining schedule, you'll still have Brian Kelly giving some time to a work. And uh, I still think when everything is all said and done, despite the fact that LSU lost 
to uh, Florida State that they'll still be in the hunt. And really, if they beat Alabama and win the uh, SEC, then they will definitely be in the hunt for one of the four playoff spots. But it was very, very impressive. Very impressive. And you take a look at Florida State's schedule. Next week, they got Southern Miss, then they're on to uh, Boston College. The game of the year, I guess, in the ACC, could it really take place before October? Could it really take place September 23rd against Clemson? That's going to answer a lot of questions for both programs when you're speaking about the Seminoles and the uh, Clemson Tigers. Then after that, they play Georgia Tech at home, Syracuse, Duke. What am I supposed to take? I'll get the Duke and I'll get the Duke and uh, Clemson in a second. But what am I? What's going to be my takeaway from this? Duke's for real. Duke's for real. What do we mean by Duke is for real? They beat Clemson. Was that more of a high five, hand clap, acknowledgement of the ascension of Duke to another level? Or are we hand-wringing? Are we head-scratching? Are we second-guessing? Are we eyeball-rolling? Are we uh, taking a look at uh, Clemson? Did they beat a Clemson team that has fallen down from the Clemson team that we thought of when we were speaking about Clemson that had quarterbacks such as um, Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson on the team that were winning championships, were at one time for a short time an even more dominant college football program than Alabama? Yes, it only lasted for a couple of years, but when you beat Alabama two out of three times a national championship game, including a 44-16 beatdown, I would say that over that three or four year period that Clemson was the superior football team or football program over Alabama. But man, does that seem like a long, long way away. So was this victory by Duke over Clemson, what are we supposed to take of this? Where are we supposed to go with this? What true impact does this have when you're speaking about Florida State and their chances of possibly going undefeated? I mean, because of outside of LSU and Clemson, what else are we speaking about here? We don't know about Miami, North Alabama, nothing. We don't know. Florida didn't show us anything, even though they'll be playing on the road. Florida didn't show us anything against Utah. They'll be playing them, the Seminoles. uh, The Seminoles will be playing uh, the Gators at the end of the year. But again, you take a look at the schedule. Mississippi, Southern Mississippi, they should beat. At Boston College, they should beat. Based on what we saw uh, yesterday, because I'm recording this on Tuesday, so on Labor Day, Florida State should beat Clemson, even though it's at uh, Tiger Stadium. They should beat Virginia Tech. They should beat Syracuse. They should beat Duke. All of those games are going to be at home. Then they go on the road to Wake Forest. Sam Hartman is not coming back to uh, play for Wake Forest, so they should be heavily favored in that game, along with playing on the road at Pittsburgh. Then they finish up with, again, Miami, North Alabama, then on the road against Florida. Florida State has a real, real, real path. And again, it's week one. I get it. I understand. I'm just saying, based on what I saw week one, and based on the schedule, that Florida State has a real opportunity to finish this season undefeated. Now, when you go on the road, who knows? Clemson, who knows? Miami, who knows? Even though they'll be playing them at home. At Florida, who knows? Duke, even though they'll be playing them at home, who knows? Though, So there's still some who-know games that could trip them up. But um, the schedule, especially against this win against LSU, that out-of-conference victory on a neutral site 
against LSU will really put them in high cotton when you have these clowns deciding which of the uh, four teams should be representing the uh, college football playoffs. So I think, the um, again, the biggest, the most impressive victory of the weekend, and because of that, you could put them number one. I wouldn't uh, be sitting there screaming and shouting, is uh, Florida State. The biggest disappointment, though, had to be Clemson. Had to be Clemson. What, what, what exactly was that? Losing to Duke twenty-eight to seven. Look, we we can sit here, and we can speak about oh my goodness, the great job. And we we heard this the entire game, right? Uh, Riley Leonard, the quarterback for Duke, and you know, the ascension. And man, we we heard this all game long. Man, they're moving the programs moving forward, and this is what the coach envisioned when he got to Duke, and this is what the uh, program could be, and this, that, and the other. And now they're a good program, and they're a program to be reckoned with. I don't know what to take. From that game, because number one is game number one for each one of those teams. So who knows how much of a how much should we rely on the track record of Clemson to say, eh, they'll be they'll be fine when everything is all said and done. They'll be fine. And I'm speaking about this season. I don't know. I don't know. Should we be discussing the dissension or of Duke uh, of excuse me of Clemson, the erosion of once was the dynasty. Of Clemson had that erosion already started. What does this mean for Clemson moving forward? Are we now speaking about them no longer being viable contenders for national championships? I'm not just talking about this season. I'm talking about as a program in general. What does it mean for for Dabo Sweeney? I'm not saying that he's going to get fired or any nonsense like that, but um, you know, you go from a couple of years of beating Alabama in the national championship game to losing to Duke. And a game that really wasn't that competitive, even though there were opportunities for Clemson to score two block field goals, uh, two fumbles within the red zone, uh, turnovers in the red zone. I, I, I don't know what to make of this team. But when you're speaking about Clemson, the Clemson that we've known for the past five or ten years, I don't think that team is coming back to where it was, to where it was the most dominant teams in college football. I, I just don't. I think that they've had their run. And I don't know what you do moving forward. This is not like, you know, professional sports where you have your run and then you have to rebuild through the draft. You have to get terrible to get a high draft pick and blah, blah. I'm not, I, I, you know, the, the Clemson will always be, um, when you're speaking about schools east of the Mississippi, I always think that Clemson still, as long as you have Dabo Sweeney and you have that program in his, um, in the way that he wants it, I still think Clemson is going to be a, a force to be reckoned with and one of the better top programs east of the Mississippi. But, man, it, 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 it was just shocking. It was shocking to see the absolute lack of playmakers on that field for Clemson. Where are the dynamic wide receivers? Where are the dynamic running backs? Where are the dynamic playmakers? I mean, Will Shipley is nice, but you, you need to upgrade. Clemson can get somebody better than that, can't they? Shouldn't they? Alabama can. Ohio State can. Michigan can. USC can't. Why, why is it that when you take a look, Florida State can't. Well, did you see that? We saw that game against Florida State. Compare those, compare those skill players for Florida State against what you saw for Clemson uh, yesterday on Monday. It's not even close. It's not even close. What exactly happened? Because Clemson, are, they're still getting high recruiting rankings. They're still getting four and five star recruits. This guy, Clay, Clay, was Kay Klubnik, spirited, spirited arm, showing some talent, but it just, it just wasn't happening.
it looked vanilla. That offensive, that offense for um, Clemson, it looked vanilla. It looked boring. It looked, you know, first year coordinator Garrett Riley and uh, Kate Glutnick just didn't do anything for me. And again, for Duke, first victory over Clemson since 2004, first victory over an AP top 10 school since beating Clemson in 1989 when they were ranked number seven, when Clemson was ranked number seven. That was when Steve Spurrier was the coach for Duke. So I don't know what to make of either one of these teams. And again, Klubnik was underwhelming, a five-star recruit, one of the best recruits uh, in the country a couple of years ago. He went 27 to 43 for 209 yards, one touchdown, one interception, but in the first half, he was 14 to 21 for, all, for only 103 yards. The only deep pass that he even attempted before halftime was an 18-yarder to Antonio Williams. Uh, right before halftime, with Duke playing a Hail Mary defense, I'm thinking, how much does Dabo Sweeney in the Clemson offense miss? Uh, Tony Elliott, their former offensive coordinator, who's now the uh, Virginia Cavaliers head coach, who got walloped by um, Tennessee. Because when you think about Elliott as the offensive coordinator, either co or offensive coordinator on his own from 2015 to 2021, Clemson won the national championship in 2017, beating Alabama. That was with Scott calling the offensive uh, plays and serving as co-offensive coordinator for the game. In 2017, he was replaced. You know, Elliott was uh, the winner of the Bortles Award presented to the top assistant coach in college football. In 2019, Elliott called plays as the co-offensive coordinator for Clemson's 44-16 win against uh, Alabama for their second national championship. And during the seven years as either the offensive coordinator or co-offensive coordinator for Clemson, Tigers went 88-10. He was responsible for Deshaun Watson. He was responsible for Trevor Lawrence. And then, as soon as he left, DJ Uglio, uh, DJ, I forgot his last name, but he was a four- or five-star recruit from uh, California. He came in and underwhelmed. He didn't do anything. So I'm just I'm just interested to see exactly what's going on and what's going to be happening with Clemson as they um, as they move forward because uh, the performance that they gave on Sunday was very 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 underwhelming. All right. The NFL season starting Thursday. Are you excited? Are you excited with Kansas City going up against Detroit? I'm going to uh, break down some games. I'm going to be speaking about some games. I'm going to be going over some games. The last segment of the program here on Wendell's World and Sports. Last segment of the podcast. 
Last segment of the program, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you are with us. Are you ready for some football? Excuse me, young man. Are you ready for some football? Are you ready for some football? It begins on Thursday. Ah, my Sundays. You see, during the um, during the um, summer months, starting in July, I was a regular Sunday visitor to Valley Christian Church, giving my um, what's ups and how you doings and this, that, and the other. And, you know, Delano, the uh, preacher there, was speaking about, you know, we go to lunch sometimes and, you know, reading the good book and trying to get me closer to the Lord and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, I was telling them, I was like, hey, man, you know, I, I really enjoy, really enjoy the church, really enjoy the fellowship, really enjoy the teachings, really enjoy the sermons, really enjoy me getting educated about the Lord and all this kind of good stuff and how about becoming a good Christian and all those type of things. I think it's wonderful. I think it's awesome. You guys have been instrumental in terms of me becoming a better person, me becoming a more patient person, me becoming a more loving person, me um, getting closer, connected, my understanding with the Lord Jesus Christ and all those things. Love it. Thank you so much. But I have to tell you one thing. Yeah. When football season starts, you ain't going to be seeing me for four months. Sorry. <laughs> it ain't going to be happening. Um, you know, I can watch y'all online. I, you know, you guys are online, Valley Christian. If you want to go YouTube them and listen to their sermons and all this kind of good stuff, good for you. But that's the only way I will be, um, connecting with you guys. Now we can still go out to lunch. We can still, you know, talk about the Bible during that, during the week and all those type of things and speak about all that good stuff. But you will not be seeing me on Sunday because football season starting and, uh, yeah, not missing football. You're putting football over the Lord? No, I'm not putting football over the Lord. I can go. I don't need to go to the Lord's house to uh, give my thanks and praise and and, and and do the right thing. I can go ahead. I mean, there's no law saying that you can't worship the Lord on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There's no law in saying that. I mean, I'd rather go ahead and praise the Lord and do the right thing six days a week rather than go ahead, confess my sins on Sunday, and then repeat them um, Monday through Saturday. Come on now. You know better than that. So, yeah, basically, um, the church services and all them good things is over with. It's over. So I will be immersed on Sundays of doing what I've been doing for the last, oh, I don't know, 30, 40 plus years, which is Sundays doing nothing but watching NFL football. It's going to be an interesting season. And again, not going to get into, I can't get into, I don't want to get into, it's ridiculous to get into, let's start the games before we start getting into Dallas and Dak Prescott and Aaron Rodgers and all the storylines that are going to be in the NFL. Can we at least start, can we get some data? Can we see how things are going to go? Can we see what's happening before we start surmising whether it was a good move for the Jets to go out and get Dalvin Cook to go along with Aaron Rodgers? Can we go ahead and get some data? Before we decide that um, that uh, Dak Prescott is not the guy for Dallas to be moving forward. Can we go ahead and watch some games before we start speaking about what Jalen Hurts is just a fluke? Can we go ahead and watch some games and get some data and get some information before we start talking about which coach needs to be fired? Can we go ahead and do those things, please? Because for me, again, you know, unlike this, unlike those shows you see on television and all this kind of stuff, where they want to be speaking about the NFL live show, where uh, Monday show, Dak Prescott, Dallas Cowboys, 
How important is it for him to have a, a great season this year to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys moving forward? Tuesday show, NFL Live, Dak Prescott. What chances does he have to be that quarterback? To um, what, what chances does he have to be the quarterback of the future? What did he need to prove? Wednesday, Dak Prescott. What will be the ramifications of Dak Prescott if he doesn't perform up to expectations? Thursday's uh, NFL Live. Dak Prescott. If he doesn't, which team will he go to? What will be the career of Dak Prescott if he flames out in Dallas? Friday, Dak Prescott. It's like, all right, y'all, come on, man. Enough, enough. I don't know. Um, Dallas Cowboys, Monday's program. Uh, Dallas, um, sh- should they win the championship? Tuesday on NFL Live. Dallas Cowboys, what will happen to Mike McCarthy if Dallas doesn't win the Super Bowl? Wednesday, NFL Live, Dallas Cowboys, what will be the legacy of Jerry Jones if Dallas doesn't win this championship? Thursday's episode on NFL Live, Dallas Cowboys, what will be the ramification if Dallas doesn't win the championship? Friday's episode on NFL Live, Dallas Cowboys, how much impact will Dak Prescott have in Dallas winning a Super Bowl? Like, all right, come on, man, can we, can we speak about something else? Can we at least wait a little bit? Because you know that shit's going to be happening on, you know, Dallas is playing Sunday Night Football against the Giants. Dak Prescott comes out, throws for 400 yards. He has a Sidor Sanders type of performance against the Giants on Sunday Night Football. NFL Live on Monday. Dak Prescott, has he silenced the doubters? Uh, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday show. Um, Dak Prescott, after his performance against the Giants, should he be considered MVP? Wednesday's program. Um, on NFL Live. Dak Prescott, do you think that he can, he, do you think that he can give the same performance week two that he did against week one? It's like, oh, for heaven's fucking sakes. Dak Prescott, Thursday's program, is he now considered an elite quarterback after, uh, elite quarterback in the NFL after his performance on Sunday night against the Giants? Friday's episode, Dak Prescott, it's like, ah, it's like, come on, man. Can we go ahead and talk about something else? And you know, on the other side, if he has a bad game, Dak Prescott, should he be benched? Tuesday, Tuesday show, Dak Prescott, can he rebound from a poor opening game performance? Dak Prescott on third, on Wednesday, if he doesn't uh, turn it around, when shall we see Cooper Rush? Friday's program on NFL Live, Dak Prescott, we'll be asking Ryan Clark and um, Dan Orlowski and Marcus Spears and... Mia Kimes and Adam Schefter. Exactly what's going to happen if Dak Prescott, like, oh, for fuck's sake. like, come on, man. Can we go ahead and think about something else? So I, I just I just can't. And then it's, the same, it's going to be the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. I just can't. I, I can't break it down to the minute on every single play, on every single series. On every, I just can't. I can't. Give, give me a little data. You know, give me about eight, nine, ten weeks of data on what these guys are doing before I start going before I start speaking in absolutes, please, please, because, <laughs> you know, I just, I, I just can't deal. I just can't deal with the sky is fall, falling based on every performance. So let's run through these games, right? On um, on Thursday, you have, <clears throat> excuse me, on Thursdays, you have 
Opening game, you're going to have Kansas City hosting Detroit. It's going to be interesting. Many people, many people are speaking about Detroit can be that team that's going to make the next jump, that uh, they're going to be the team that is going to take the next step to make the playoffs, to be real contenders. Don't know what type of signals we're going to get, yay or nay, based on one game, based on the opening game of the season. But we'll go ahead and see. If you remember, before I go into these other games, just to kind of, again, speak about the impact, lack of impact, in terms of, oh my goodness gracious, I can't believe this, that, and the other. I have I have remembered so many games. I'm quite sure you have too. I have remembered so many games where um, the first game of the season, one team looks tremendous and the other team looks horrible. And it's like, oh, how about that? Or uh, like, for instance, normally it's the marquee game to start the season. Normally um, it's the Super Bowl winning team or a team that played in the Super Bowl or whatever. And it's like the team that played in the Super Bowl the year before or won the Super Bowl the year before, they come out in game one and they look fantastic. They look great. They look awesome. And after week one, it's like, oh, my goodness gracious, these guys are going to repeat. These guys look better than last year. These guys are going to be dominant. These guys are going to be awesome, this, that, and the other. And by the end of the season, either that team that won the Super Bowl the year before, that came out in the first game of the season, that lit the world on fire and had all of them folks speaking about how dominant they were going to be either didn't make the playoffs or entered the playoffs and left with a whimper. I remember when, um, I remember when Tampa Bay, not Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I remember when Tampa Bay with John Gruden won the Super Bowl and then the, and then the opening game of the season, um, they played, I don't know. It, it was uh, Monday Night Football. I think they played Philadelphia. And they blew those guys out. I mean, and they, the defense looked dominant. They looked great. They looked awesome. This, that, and the other. Came out with a whimper. I remember when, remember the first game a couple of years ago, Tampa Bay and Dallas? And, uh, you know, Brady had a game-winning drive. Prescott played his ass off. And uh, Tampa Bay won that game. Um, at the end of the, uh, you know, kick the last minute field goal or some nonsense like that. But Tampa Bay won. They were the defending champions and everybody was speaking about, oh my goodness, Tampa Bay is great. Tampa Bay is this, Tampa Bay that, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay lost to the Los Angeles Rams in the uh, in the playoffs. So w- whatever happens, man, whether, I don't care if Kansas City comes out and beats Detroit 56 to nothing or 63 to nothing with Pat Mahomes, you know, looking like, and then looking like a mixture of, Johnny Unitas, Joe Montana, and Sammy Baugh. I don't know. Fuck it. I don't the plays the greatest. Shador Sanders. I don't it doesn't matter. It don't mean anything. It doesn't mean that, oh my goodness, it's gonna be an easy road for Kansas City. It doesn't mean all oh, those Detroit's the Detroit's a fraud. I'm just gonna sit back and watch the game. I'm sit back I'm just gonna sit back and enjoy the game. I hope that you do so also. So that's gonna be the first game. It'll be interesting though to see. The, the, the start of the season in terms of um, the new offensive structure now that Kansas City doesn't have Eric Bieniemy as the uh, as part of the uh, offensive mindset mastermind that um, allowed Patrick Mahomes to be Patrick Mahomes, helped Patrick Mahomes to be Patrick Mahomes. So that would be interesting, and again, to see uh, what Detroit's going to be about. But, you know, the early games on Sunday, you're going to have Carolina at Atlanta. You're going to have Cincinnati at Cleveland. I'm interested to see... Um, when you're speaking about Cincinnati and Cleveland, I'm interested to see Deshaun Watson, if he's gotten over his two 
two and a half year rust of uh, not playing football or playing average football, going from not playing any football at all to being an average football player, below average football player for a lot of what he showed in his first year uh, with Cleveland. So I'm going to see if he's going to have the opportunity or I'm going to see if he's any closer to the quarterback that was once a top three, top four quarterback when he was with uh, Houston. So that's what I'm going to be interested in in watching Cincinnati and Cleveland. Jacksonville and Indianapolis, I'm going to be interested in Anthony Richardson. Jonathan Taylor is not going to be playing. He's on the PUP list because the team, he couldn't find a team that would trade for him or that would make it acceptable for an Indianapolis to trade Taylor to that team. I'm interested also to see Jacksonville, the maturation of Trevor Lawrence, to see if he's taking the next step at the beginning of the season after the strong season that he had or the last part of the season um, that he had last year. So I'm interested in that. Tampa Bay in Minnesota, um, Tennessee at New Orleans, San Francisco at Pittsburgh, Arizona at Washington. Interested, of course, in seeing my Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy to see how they mesh. Uh, the first game against Arizona, a team without Kyler Murray, who really is probably playing to uh, get either Caleb Williams or the way that he played on Saturday. If he can continue, that's Jador Sanders or Drake May. We'll see what happens. But uh, Houston at Baltimore, interested to see um, C.J. Uh, CJ Stroud, who's already been made a captain of Houston already. Him and Will Anderson, the two picks for uh, Houston, interested to see how they're going to be against Baltimore. Lamar Jackson, see how he plays with that new contract. The afternoon games, we've got Green Bay and Chicago. Jordan Love era has started for Green Bay. Want to see if there's been any miraculous improvement or any type of uh, improvement in Justin Fields as he starts his third year as the uh, quarterback for Chicago. Las Vegas at Denver, what type of impact in the immediacy that Sean Payton is going to have with Russell Wilson. Um, New England, Philadelphia at New England. Um, the change to Bill O'Brien being the offensive coordinator for New England. How effect does that have on Mac Jones? And of course, also take a look to see how well oiled of a machine that Philadelphia is, especially with the quarterback Jalen Hurts having the year that he had last year coming out of nowhere. Miami and the Los Angeles Chargers can to a tongue of Iloa now practicing how to fall and slide if that's going to help him. And of course, I want to see the ascension continue for Los Angeles Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert now that he has that big fat contract. Los Angeles Rams at Seattle, not too much there. And of course, Sunday night, Dallas at the New York Giants. Interested to see that game. And then of course, Monday night football, you have, yes, the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets. Interesting on both ends when you speak about the Jets and the Bills. Um, the Jets, of course, with Aaron Rodgers, now immediate contenders for not just the AFC Championship, but also for the Super Bowl. But uh, playing against Buffalo with Josh Allen and a team, really, I don't know how many more bites at the apple that this Buffalo Bills team is going to have, the way this construed right now. Um, Josh Allen, who right now, who by now, many thought would already have an MVP uh, on his mantle, and Buffalo would already have a Super Bowl appearance appearance with them. Uh, many times thought to be the chief rival for the Kansas City football team. That's pretty good, huh? Chief rival for Kansas City. Hey, now. But, uh, yeah, so I'm going to see, I'm interested to see um, Buffalo this year. Vaughn Miller, um, their, their pass rusher, is now going to be playing for the first four games of the season. So, again, in a season that I think is going to be critical for Sean McDermott and the Buffalo Bills. Let's see how they start the season 
against the New York Jets. Again, interested, curious to see how these teams start. Not to sit there and all of a sudden start putting labels on these guys. Not believing on any of these teams just yet. In terms of anything, I don't care who it is. From Kansas City all the way down to Arizona in the power rankings. Not, not, not believing anything. No matter what the score is. No matter how well or poorly they play. No labels. No beliefs. None of that stuff. Let's just see how things go. And like I mentioned before, as I've always mentioned before. First six, eight weeks of the season. I don't care who your team is. I don't care who you're rooting for. Just enjoy the season. Don't freak out. Don't get angry. Don't make any proclamations about your team being good, bad, or indifferent. Wait. It's a waiting game to find out how good these teams are. Now, if you're playing fantasy football, and if you're betting, that's a different story because you're actually putting money on these things. But if you're just a fan and you enjoy football, and you enjoy your team, whether it be Kansas City or Pittsburgh or Green Bay or Minnesota or my Washington Commanders or whatever. Hey, man, I'm just interested to see whether your expectation for your team is to win a Super Bowl or, uh, you know, you, you've always got something to root for. If you think that your team stinks, you should be rooting for your team to finish lousy. That way you can get yourself Caleb Williams. You can get yourself a high draft pick. So there's always a glass half full scenario when you're watching your team, regardless of its expectations for wins and losses. Kansas City, yeah. I mean, you know, hey, we want to win that Super Bowl. We want Mahomes to go back to back. We want him to keep filling up that trophy case. It ain't going to be done in one game. We remember, again, go back to watching these broadcasts. You can see them on YouTube. I watch them a lot. When you're speaking about America's uh, America's game, where you're speaking about um, the teams that won the Super Bowl, and they have a retrospect, and they go back and they speak about the uh, season. From the Green Bay Packers of 1966 all the way up to the Kansas City football team of 2023. Hey, man, the high majority of these programs, they always spoke about, you know, there was a time during the season where it was a come to Jesus that we didn't know we were going to be getting there. It's almost like a marriage, right? You go check some folks who have been married 40, 50, 60 years. Hey, man, not all, not all of them years have been like wonderful, fantastic. Not every moment had been glorious and wonderful and this, that, and the other. There's been bumps in the road. There's been times where we didn't think that we were going to make it. We, we had our obstacles. We have our difficulties and all those type of things, but we made it through it. And now we are in still in love uh, like we were 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And with these football teams, man, it's like, yeah, we won a championship. We started off slowly. Yeah, we lost to a team that we shouldn't have lost to. Yeah, there was some internal uh, strife. There were some obstacles. There were some difficulties, but we worked it out as, an, as a team. We went through the difficulties. There were some differences of opinion about how we need to do things. We didn't like each other at times during the season, but when everything was all said and done, we made it work. So again, if you want your team, Dallas, Kansas City, Los Angeles, whatever, man, Minnesota, whatever, New York Jets, whatever. Hey, man, six, first six to eight weeks, enjoy, 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 enjoy the season. And then once it hits November, then maybe you can start talking about P-A-N-I-C. But up until then, R-E-L-A-X. So there you go. All right, I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast Wendell's World of Sports be safe do what we need to do to make this world a better place again just a public service announcement if you think slavery was a good thing in this country 
check yourself because you are the fucking stupidest person walking the face of the earth if you believe any of the bullshit that are coming from states like Arkansas and Florida and those fucking asshole governors and politicians and educators down there. Learn, grow, speak to those who might not be the same as you, different politics, different religions, different genders, different races, different places, different financial backgrounds, different parts of the world, all that kind of good stuff. Learn. Learn, 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 and become a better person because, man, what this world needs today, love, unity, understanding, togetherness, at least in this country, something that is in great void of. So, Wendell's World in Sports, I want to end with some, uh, I want to end with some Baby I Need Your Lovin'. I want to go to the Four Tops singing live. So, yeah, anytime I can hear a little Levi Stubbs, anytime I can hear uh, Ronaldo Benson, anytime I can hear Lawrence Payton and all, and, 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 and when I can hear some Abdul Fakir, who's still out there at 80-something years old, touring with the uh, Four Tops, even though the three of them are dead. Um, you know, new band members, and Abdul's up there sitting in his seat, still singing the songs at 85 years old. Inspiration, inspiration, inspiration. So give me some Baby I Need Your Lovin' and get me out of here with the legendary... The awesome, the fabulous Four Tops. Without you, girl, this loneliness that's deep down in my soul. Uh, 